Oh, it's such a clutch pickup, Dave. I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Jay Billis of ESPN, former Duke player, going to join us in this episode. He's the best in the biz. Doesn't require much further explanation. We'll get into both the North Carolina Duke side of things as well as KU Villanova. This episode's going to be a little bit shorter than normal, but don't worry because we have an extra episode coming on Friday. So three episodes this week. I want to start with KU Villanova because on paper, even before the Justin Moore injury for Nova, this is a, a favorable Final Four matchup. And you're not going up against a Cinderella team, but just given the path that you've gotten to New Orleans, if you're Kansas, seeing Villanova, who stylistically presents some challenges, and I know if you are a nostalgic person, you're going to look back on 2016 and 2018 and say, okay, when, how would Villanova possibly be a favorable matchup? But this is not the same Villanova team that maybe you would expect to see from Jay Wright, albeit they're still a very good basketball team. Uh, it seems to be more of a culture thing than an individual talent thing like you had in 2018 with Jalen Brunson, Mikel Bridges, Amari Spellman, all those guys. I want to start first, though, with just KU because KU has not had a good shooting game yet in the tournament. They're not only not shooting the ball well, they're not taking very many threes. So if you're not taking many threes and the ones that you do take you're not making, that to me is bad shooting. 24% of KU's shots versus Miami came from three. That's their third lowest rate of the season. And yes, I'm going to throw some numbers at you, so get strapped in. That's the exact same number, the exact same percentage of their shots that came versus three against Creighton. 24% of their shots versus Creighton came from three. Versus Providence, 25% of their shots came from three. That's the third, the fourth, and the fifth lowest percentages of the season. So KU's played 38 games this season. And of their four tournament games, three of them have been the lowest three-point attempt rate of the season. So is this yips? Is this being afraid to fire? Is there something that defenses are doing to take those shots away? 
He used 13 of 45 from three. That's 29%. They can't buy a basket. And they've got they've gotten to this point to the final four because of defense, because of hustle, because quite frankly, they've played four games against teams with inferior talent. The additive to that is that Ochai has not played well. He hasn't had it. He hasn't shot well. I shouldn't say he hasn't played well. He hasn't shot well. He hasn't scored particularly well. I think you could argue of the seven guys that play meaningful minutes for Kansas, Oach has has been the worst offensive player. He's provided a lot of value with hustle plays, with defense, but he hasn't been great on offense. He hasn't shot the ball well. He hasn't scored the ball well. And it's easy to say he's pressing. I have no idea. The shots have been there, though. And when they haven't, it seems like he's been forcing it. Which now, as I say it, okay, that is literally the definition of pressing. So maybe I do know. Maybe maybe it is somewhat obvious that he's forcing the issue a little bit. As for the defense part, KU as a team, they have seen their defense this season go from a liability to going to a strength. Now, we'll see if it continues against Villanova, which is a significant step up in offense. But Miami... To their credit, they weren't a great team this year. Their offense was one of the top 15 in the country. So it's not like, I know it's a 10 seed, but that was a really skilled offense that KU absolutely shut down. The most dominant half of basketball we've seen in the tournament was Kansas versus Miami in the Elite Eight. KU has the number one field goal percentage defense in the country since the start of the tournament. Teams are shooting 39% inside the arc against them. 39%, that's an elite number. Just for context. 2008, Kansas team that won the title. Uh, team shot 42% versus them in the tournament. 2012, the team that was the national runner-up. Team shot 40% inside the arc against them in the tournament. So that's two of the best interior defenses the Bill Selfs had at Kansas. And this defense is besting that when it comes to interior. Now, again, competition. Who are you going up against? I understand. But there's a, a line between having an okay defense, like if, if if you have marginal improvements defensively, you could say, okay, maybe that's because of the competition. When you're talking about being the best defense in the country, there's more than just luck or competition involved there. They're just busting their ass. That's what they're doing. They're outworking everybody. Ochai, CB, Dave, Mitch. Mitch. Mitch Lightfoot has been a godsend for this defense in March. He's 13 blocks. 13 blocks this postseason. So that's the conference tournament plus the NCAA tournament. 13 blocks in seven games. In 30 regular season games, he had 20 blocks. And he has 13 in his last seven. He has basically turned into 2012 Jeff Withy this postseason. The whole team, though, is just working on defense. They're throwing bodies at drivers. They're still undisciplined. They're not great on the perimeter. Like, if you want to get open threes against Kansas, just ball screen them to death, and they're going to get caught slipping eventually, and they're going to give up looks. I know you can say that about a lot of teams, but this team is not super disciplined on switching and, and knowing when to switch and knowing when to stay with their man. Miami and Providence had plenty of open looks. They just couldn't buy a bucket. So now comes Villanova. And this is not the Nova team from 2018 that's shooting 42% from three or whatever it was, but they want to be. And that's the important thing to remember. The, the, the style of play hasn't changed. The, the Jimmys and Joes have. They are so creative with how they create shots on the perimeter. It's their entire offense. That's all they do. If you want to know what Villanova is going to try and do, 
they're going to try and create opportunities to shoot on the perimeter. They don't even pretend to want to score inside. They give 42%, Nova does, 42% of their points inside the arc. For perspective, that ranks 351st in the country. 351st out of what, 357 teams I think there are? This is also, by the way, the best free throw shooting team of all time. Of all time. They shoot 83% from the free throw line. You're like, oh, that's probably one of the best ever. No, I'm not, I'm not being hyperbolic. It's the best free throw shooting team in college basketball history. So there you go. Now, you're not going to win a game on the back of free throw shooting, but you can certainly lose a game like we almost saw Kansas do against Miami by not hitting free throws. You're not going to have to worry about that with this Villanova team. As for the, the offense itself, they're going to slow it down. They're one of the slowest teams in the country, and they're going to get a three on almost every possession. They have their big sort of running around, and they set these off-ball screens for their guards who they're basically just trying to scheme open. They're not a great shooting team. They're not bad. They're slightly above average when it comes to shooting threes. But they're as good as anyone in the country at creating opportunities. And as we've sort of become more aware of over the past decade or so, being a great shooting team is awesome. But if you're creating opportunities constantly, there's some volatility involved there. Like you're going to get cold and lose games because you don't have it on a given night. But if it happens to be one of those nights where everything's falling, and you're taking 25, 30 attempts from beyond the arc, then you become nearly impossible to beat regardless of who you're going against. Justin Moore's out. That's the big headline for Villanova. He was their second leading scorer, 15 points a game. He was shooting six threes a game, uh, hitting about 36% of them. It's impossible to replace him. They only go about six deep when fully healthy. Now you take one from the equation, and it becomes difficult to see what you're going to do from a rotation standpoint. They don't have great depth, especially at the guard spot. They don't have any real means to replace more. Having him out of the rotation is a massive loss, but it's not going to change how they play. They're still going to try and stretch the floor. They're going to launch a bunch of threes. That's basically the Jay Wright philosophy in a nutshell. right? Even if we don't have the best personnel to execute this offense, we're going to run this offense, and we're going to rely upon the idea that this is the most efficient way to win games. Now, you go 3-21 like Miami did, you're going home. But you have one good shooting night where a few guys get hot and then you're going to the national championship. It's not even like a a next man up sort of mentality as much as it is year in, year out. Don't care about the personnel. Guys are going to come and go. But our core tenant as an offense is going to remain relatively consistent, which is we are going to space the floor. We're going to slow it down. We're going to limit turnovers and we're going to get a shot up on almost every possession. And about half of those shots are going to be from beyond the arc. The flip side is that on the other end of the court, Villanova's terrible at defending the three, and it doesn't really make any sense. Teams shoot a ton of threes against them, but they just don't make them. It's like they're playing an exaggerated version of themselves every night. I'm not sure it really matters. KU's going to take whatever defenses give them. This isn't a team that lives by the three. This isn't a team that necessarily lives by getting the ball inside. They're a healthy balance. That's good, right? You're multiple to steal a football term. If Nova wants to close out hard, then KU's not going to be shy about driving downhill and trying to score inside. You can look at the numbers and just say, wow, Nova's great at defending the three, and they pride themselves on it. Like, guys have quoted this year and say, you know, we, we pride ourselves on being disciplined and communicating and knowing where to be and closing out on shooters. That's fine and well, but when you're amongst the nation's leaders and three-pointers allowed, it wouldn't make sense that teams are just constantly taking bad shots against you or that you're somehow have found the style of defense that baits teams into taking threes. Maybe there's something to it, but 
for the most part, if you're allowing a lot of threes, it's because you're not great at defending threes or you'd rather don't care about defending threes. I don't know because um, at least statistically, there's not a, a lot there that the Villanova does well defensively, but you go back to Houston, like Houston couldn't buy a bucket. That's why they're sitting at home now. I think this game's going to come down to a few things. Can KU avoid one of those games where Nova happens to get hot from three? They've hit 10 threes in a game 16 times this year. For perspective, Kansas has done that five times. So this is a team that can get hot. They've done it several times. It's about a coin flip as to whether or not it's going to happen against you. There's really not much you can do to keep them from shooting. Like, no matter what your defensive game plan is, how hard we're going to close out, we're going to drive them off the line, it doesn't really make a difference. They're going to find ways to get shots up. They took 53s, 53s against Syracuse earlier this season. They're going to shoot. You just got to hope they don't have one of those scorching hot nights. The other thing I think it's really going to come down to is can Ochai get going on offense, specifically in the half court? Nova plays so slow. They want to milk the clock. They get a shot up on almost every possession. There's not a lot of chances to get runouts versus them. Kansas wants to run. That's where they're at their best. They're, they're so good with their symmetry on the floor. Everybody knows where everybody's going to be. Everybody knows how to put the ball in the right spot and, and get two points or get to the line. May not be many of those opportunities, so Ochai has to get going in the half court. And I think he'll have the opportunity to do this, especially with Justin Moore out. I mean, these five starters are going to have to play 38-plus minutes. They were already doing that. Justin Moore had missed four minutes in the previous two games. So your rotation has been thrown for a bit of a loop here, and I don't know from a personnel standpoint if they have a great ask to put on Ochai in the half court. And he's had four down games. If there were ever an opportunity for your national player of the year candidate to bust out of his slump, it would be in the biggest moment of the season in New Orleans for the Final Four with the birth to the national championship game on the line. All right, Jay Billis, ESPN Duke alum, played for Duke uh, until 1986, played in the Final Four under Coach K. So it's fitting to have you on now as Coach K in his last season going to the Final Four. And storybook endings, Jay, always sound fun in theory, but they rarely happen. And now we've got Coach K in his last season in the Final Four going against Duke's biggest rival, the best rivalry in college basketball, North Carolina, being coached by Hubert Davis in his first season. So given all of these circumstances and having been a part of a lot of those incredible games between Duke and UNC, what do you imagine it's going to be like on either of those benches on Saturday night? Well, I mean, it just adds another layer to a multi-layered event. Um, You know, I I think for fans of both schools, you kind of wonder, are they thinking about, hey, you know, if we win the national championship, you know, we'll have to beat our rival to do it. Or are they going, hey, if we beat our rival, we can win a national championship. You know, you hear some people say, well, I don't care if we win the title as long as we beat them. And you're like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Um, but who knows what goes through the minds of, of fans. But it'll take a, it'll take all the air out of the room, and Kansas and, uh, and Villanova will play in a game that won't be spotlighted as much. But how many times have we seen that happen where the, you know, the under the quote unquote undercard game, the champion comes out of there. So uh, I wouldn't mind being Kansas or Villanova and let, let Carolina and Duke wear themselves out, uh, you know, with all their emotion and all that stuff, because the players are going to feel it and the coaches are going to feel it. Um, you know, it's kind of like denying that they were going to feel either positively or negatively, you know, Coach Day's last game, and that wasn't going to be a factor. 
you never know how it's going to play out. You know, if, if Duke had won, everybody would have said they rode the wave of emotion at Coach K's last game to win one for the Gipper and all that. And they lost, and it was the incredible weight of the expectation. You know, I mean, who knows? Uh, uh, but uh, th- it'll definitely be an emotion-filled atmosphere for everybody, and, uh, and it'll be a, a highly anticipated game, uh, you know, nationally because of it. Yeah, how do you think you straddle that line if you're either program between embracing everything that you just laid out versus trying to just focus on the task at hand and and knowing that we have to push aside all of these incredible circumstances and focus on the fact that we win this game, we're going to the national championship. Well, I think you do just that. I mean, you probably address it, but you talk about not making it more than it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, the national semifinal. How do you make it bigger? Other people are trying to make it bigger, but they don't need to. And, uh, you know, for each one of them, uh, a, a recognized sort of uh, foe is in their way. You know, somebody they play a lot and they know very well uh, and from their own league. Um, so it, it, this kind of thing's happened before. I mean, you know, you saw Georgetown St. John's play years ago uh, back in the mid 80s. You know, it's happened. Um, but, uh, but it doesn't happen very often. It doesn't happen on the scale of, of Duke versus North Carolina, where it's, it's annually the highest rated game, you know, in the sport. So to have it in the final four, it's never happened before, uh, in the tournament. So, you know, it'll be, it'll definitely be different, but, uh, you know, the team that, um, that handles it better, um, will have a, a better chance to win. It doesn't mean they're going to win, but they'll have a better chance to win. Jay, I've heard you in the past talk about with Coach K and how he likes to uh, talk about human nature and trying to fight off human nature. Can you maybe um, explain a little bit maybe why he, 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 he focuses on that and, and tries to key in on that and the effect that it has when you see Duke have success this time of year? Because, well, he does it because it's a very real thing that people feel that uh, you know, if you're playing a team for, say, just for argument's sake, you're playing a team for the third time and you've beaten them the first two, you know, it's human nature to kind of let down and, and think that you got it knocked. And uh, so he'll address that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, he used to talk about not being tired, that, that, that you know, you, you play two games in, in two days and you've got a third game in three days. And he basically says, we're not tired, you know, and, and, uh, and would address it that way. Um, you know, stuff like that. I mean, he, he just kind of, rather than, than assume that people are going to handle something the right way, he makes sure that, that, that it's addressed and, uh, and it's, it's confronted. Um, he just doesn't let things lie. So he, he's always been like that. I, you know, he didn't use the term human nature back then, uh, when I played for him, but, but I hear it from him a lot now. So I want to go back to that, uh, that final game in Cameron where, I think for a lot of people for the first time, maybe we're watching North Carolina, but even coming away from that game, the headline wasn't, wow, look at this impressive win by North Carolina and this team that's trending in the right direction at the end of the season. The headline was all about the fact that Duke had lost in Coach K's final game at Cameron. You were there. Was there anything in that game that made you open your eyes in a way towards North Carolina that maybe you hadn't before that? No, but I had had seen it um, leading up to it. Uh, but it was just another step forward. And I know they took a lot of confidence from that, that they could beat anybody and they can, um, you know, that team's been building throughout the course of the year. It, it, it Carolina wasn't a, a really good team all year long. 
Um, they, they had stumbles early. They got beaten badly by a number of different teams that were among the top teams, whether it was Villanova or Purdue or Tennessee, whatever. Um, they got blasted a few times. And, you know, even in conference play, you know, they got, they got woodshedded by both Miami and, uh, and Wake Forest. And then they lost a the game at home to Pittsburgh, which, you know, you could argue shouldn't have happened, but, uh, but it did. And I think they, rather than shrinking from all that, they, uh, in the long run, have kind of benefited from those things. Uh, and, and they're in a really good place right now. You know, they're not a deep team, but their first five is formidable. And, you know, they've got the most consistent, consistently producing big guy in the country, even more than Oscar Shibway. I mean, he's got more double-doubles, uh, Armando Baycott. Uh, and then they've got three, you know, really capable three-point shooters. So they can, they got, they got, you know, four different guys that can give you 30 in a given game. And that's pretty, uh, and two of them did it in the tournament. Um, RJ Davis had 30 against Baylor, I think. And then, uh, uh, Caleb Love had 30 against UCLA and, uh, Brady Mannix averaging like 22 in the tournament. Armando Baycott's averaging close to 17 rebounds. It's ridiculous. Uh, but they don't have a whole lot on their bench. So if they have to, you know, if Duke can get into their bench, that can be a, a, a deciding factor in the game. And what's interesting about Duke is that you're, you're, you're talking about one of the youngest teams in the country, but they don't play young at all. I mean, they get great. Not right now, they don't. <laughs> okay, so, okay, then... Because go back to the North Carolina loss, and then you talk about a double-digit loss to Virginia Tech in the ACC tournament. This team, through the first two weeks of the NCAA tournament, they're getting great looks. They're not turning the ball over. They're really efficient at scoring around the basket. Why is this young team playing like a, a pretty grizzled team here through the first two weeks of the tourney? Well, but that's the thing, is is they've been playing well, and now they're they look like a grizzled veteran team. Uh, you know, they, they had moments of looking young at Ohio State, you know, against Carolina in spots uh, in the ACC tournament uh, where, where, you know, the narrative would be, well, they're a young team. You know, they look young, all that stuff. And I don't know what it is about basketball, uh, college basketball specifically, that, you know, it's like this one and done thing offends our sensibilities so much. We come up with these nonsensical things like, well, you know, experience wins. Well, of course, experience wins. They're, you know, 350 experienced teams and, and only two or three inexperienced ones that their best players are freshmen. And usually it's Duke and Kentucky and maybe a couple others that have one or two really good freshmen. But uh, both Duke and Kentucky have proven that winning with young players is, is not only doable, they've done it. They've won championships with them and, and they've won more tournament games than anybody else. Uh, over, since 2010, since Calipari got to, uh, to Kentucky. And, you know, Duke won a championship in 2015 with freshmen. And, and, but then, you know, because it doesn't fit the narrative, go, yeah, but what about Quinn Cook? You know, yeah, <laughs> they, they had older players too, but they had Quinn Cook the year before and didn't do it. And so, like, it, it, you know, the, the load carriers were, you know, Okafor and Winslow and, and Jones that year. And, uh, and same thing for Kentucky in 2012. But, but, you know, I can't think of any, any endeavor where you don't prefer experience. You know, if you're having brain surgery, you don't, you, you know, you'd rather have the experienced brain surgeon, wouldn't you? Um, but the idea that it, it can't, it can't be done by freshmen just is, is not true. But, and, and when you have, uh, like the experienced teams, like Kentucky could not have been more experienced this year. That's the most experienced team they've ever had. And they got beat in the first round by a 15 seed. 
So, you know, there are a bunch of experienced teams that got, that got bounced early. And here you got the, you know, one of the youngest teams in the field is now the favorite to win it. So what does that say about our, you know, our reliance on experience? It's not always true. It's, you'd rather have it, but what you'd really rather have is the best talent playing well. Something that Bill Self has talked about a lot in recent years, I heard, it, I heard him say it for the first time, and maybe he said it before this, was 2018 when they made the Final Four, but he said it recently that, that he, the pressure is off once you're in the Final Four. That's what he tells his guys. The pressure is always on you to get there, and once you get to the Final Four, then you can just go out and, and just play and have fun and do your thing. Is that just coach speak, or is there some truth to that? Um, there's probably some truth to it, but, but you don't want the... Uh you don't want the feeling to be, well, you know, whatever happens, happens. You still want to go after it and, and have the expectation of winning, uh, and the determination to win. Um, so, but, but you don't want, you know, I guess what every sport that I know of, you're trying to avoid tension. You know, when you've got tension as a basketball player, you're not going to play, uh, instinctively and, and free. And there's nothing better than playing basketball with a free mind that, that you're well prepared, but you just let it rip. And, uh, uh, when, when te- you know, tension's the enemy of performance at basketball, I think. So I think that's probably what Bill's talking about more than anything is, and he wants his guys to ball out, man. Don't be, you know, don't, don't worry about missing. Take the shot to make it. If you miss it, we'll go get it. And, uh, uh, you know, that's what they did in the second half of their game against Miami. And, and they've done it throughout the course of the season. You know, they, they've not proven to be afraid of anything. Um, this might not be his most talented team, but it's a pretty darn together one. And the, the pieces fit. They got they got really good players. And they got a star player in, in Abaji. So, so they're, they're they can they're perfectly suited to win this thing. What are your thoughts on what you've seen from Remy Martin the last three weeks or so? He's been really good because he can score. So when Kansas brings him in off the bench, you know, you've got instant offense coming into the, the game. I mean, they may give up a little bit defensively because he's, he's pretty small and, and I don't think he's a great defender. Uh, Dewan Harris is a much better defender, but Harris isn't the offensive threat that Martin is. So it just gives them a different dimension and another weapon uh, that they can use in games. And, and, you know, he's so quick and can get his own shot. He can get a mid ranger. Um, uh, you know, he's a wild card that way because he can go off for 25, but he can have five too. Uh, but he hasn't lately. He's been, he's been very good since he's come back from whatever, whatever injuries he had. And going back to the first, I guess the first two games where he really broke out against Creighton and Providence, where he carried them with his shot making, and it wasn't really there as much early on against Miami. KU's down by six at half. They come out in the second half and it wasn't the Remy Martin show like it had been the previous two weeks. Instead, KU played maybe the best defense that they've played all season long for 20 minutes, which I guess shouldn't come as much of a surprise, knowing Bill Self tends to have really good defensive teams. But as you mentioned a moment ago, this is not your most talented team. It's not the longest team. It's not the most athletic team he's ever had at Kansas. But what did you see in the second half versus Miami with what KU was doing on defense? I thought they they did a good job. Like when you play Miami, you're basically made into individual defenders, and they guarded the ball really well, and they made every shot really difficult. Uh, but then they scored on the other end too. So uh, that anytime you, the opponent has to take it out of the net, your defense gets that much better because you can set it, and you're not in any sort of scramble mode after a miss or a turnover or things like that. So. 
because they were scoring efficiently, um, that made their defense a little bit better. But their, their defense was really good. But they, it was mostly because individual guys guarded their matchup. Uh, in the first half, Legesti had a really good half. Because those guys are shot makers, man. They can, they're like an NBA team, uh, Miami. They can go off uh, and get their own. They don't necessarily get it off of a patterned offense or, you know, a movement that you can diagram and say, we're going to switch this, we're going to take away this. I mean, uh, Kansas switches a lot of stuff anyway. But, uh, but basically, whatever their matchup was, they guarded the ball really, really well and didn't let guys get angles and made them take tougher, tougher shots. Uh, Justin Moore for Villanova, ruptured Achilles. That's obviously a, a, a crushing loss for them, averaging 15 points a game, and Nova's not a deep team. I mean, they only play about six deep, and now they've just gotten that much more thinner. Uh, how, how big of a loss is it, and how will we, you think, see that, that effect on the game on Saturday? It, it's a huge loss. Uh, now, all of a sudden, Caleb Daniels going to have to play, not that he hasn't done it during the year, but he, all, all their first five, and Daniels will be in that first five now, they're going to have to play 40 minutes. And, you know, you might be able to spot somebody a break before a timeout, like Chris Archidiacono uh, can come in or uh, Jordan Longino, but they're not going to play more than spot minutes in that game, uh, absent, like, you know, significant foul trouble. Uh, but Villanova will slow the game down. They'll make it into a half-court game, which it's a lot easier to make a, make a, a fast team play slow than it is to make a slow team play fast. So uh, I think my sense is that Villanova will get a slow tempo in the game and uh, and try to disrupt um, Kansas's rhythm that way. And Kansas just has to run their offense with speed and make sure they keep trying to attack and get downhill and force help and then play out of it, get McCormick angles in the post that, that they normally do. But the challenge will be, uh, you know, Villanova is really physical defensively. I mean, you, you have to go through their chest on every play, and they're about as disciplined a team as you're going to find in playing their way. Uh, and there are very few teams that play that way, honestly. Um, they play a really slow tempo. I think only Virginia uh, among the power conferences plays slower. Kansas wants to play fast. So it'll be a, a difficult game to establish rhythm. But, but I think Kansas, without more in there, is the better team. Uh, but they can't, they can't settle and just make it into a jump shooting contest because uh, you know, Villanova shoots a ton of threes. They, they back you down in the post and pivot and shot fake. Uh, so I, I would imagine Kansas right now is working in, in practice on staying down on fakes and making sure they don't give ankles to, uh, uh, to Villanova's offensive players when they try to shot fake and pivot uh, in those back downs um, and then deciding whether you want to double any of those. I'm sorry if this is a silly question, but when you, when you said that Kansas needs to run their offense fast versus like tempo, like what's the difference there? What do you mean by that? Well, you know, when sometimes when you get caught in a half-court game, your offense tends to slow down. What I'm talking about is whatever Kansas is running, whether they're running that four-round-one stuff, I think they call it four-game, or, um, mm-hmm. you know, when they're doing like those, uh, they're not even dribble handoffs, they're like pitchbacks. Yeah. Uh, when they, they weave and go side-to-side, side. you've got to run that with speed and, uh, and, you know, make the defense really move so it's not loaded up on you, and then, you know, try to turn the corner and get, you know, they call it downhill now. I used to call it just take it to the basket, you know, go get a straight line drive to the basket uh, off of it where you're not playing east-west. They need to play that game north-south, which is going to be difficult against Villanova. But that's the only way you can force them into help and recover situation uh, is, to, is to get the ball into the paint. Uh, but, but in order to, to beat Villanova in a half-court game, 
that's what I'm talking about, about running the offense with speed. Uh, it's got to be run fast. It doesn't mean reckless. Uh, you know, I don't mean that. But, but you're not going to do it by, you know, pass, slow cut, stuff like that. You're, you're going to have to run it with speed. And sometimes when you get in a half-court game, your tempo slows down even in your half-court offense. And I don't think Kansas can allow that to happen. So how do you ultimately see these two games playing out on Saturday? And, and what do you think we're going to get on Monday? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's been a lot of I don't know in this tournament, even though we've got, you know, two twos, a one, and an eight, you know, and, and it was the, the hottest eight that, that wound up getting through. Um, against the most vulnerable one. Um, so, you know, a lot of us had, uh, had Baylor going out early, um, or earlier than, than the Elite Eight. Uh, you know, look, Duke's playing the best. You tend to favor them against North Carolina. But one thing, uh, you know, about the Duke-Carolina games, you know, the, the one thing you know is you, you never know. Uh, and, then, and then I favor Kansas to get past uh, Villanova. But it's another just kind of weird type of game, you know, because of how strong Villanova is and how they can get the tempo of the game to their liking. And, you know, they're, they're, they're rhythm disruptors. Um, you know, they establish their own and then they really disrupt yours. And if Kansas doesn't allow them to do that, then I, I think Kansas is the, the better team of the two right now, especially with Justin Moore out. So you've got Kansas, Duke, and the title game. Are you willing to give us a, mon- a prediction on who wins that one? I have no idea. I mean, you know, you kind of want to see him play first, but I have no idea. Um, but, you know, look, Duke's the most talented team, and they've got some matchups that are going to be really difficult for uh, for Kansas. But Kansas has, you know, Kansas plays a, a style, and they, they like to get out and run, and, and they've got older players that are really good. And, and they'll bring it, man, like especially against Duke. Like the one thing you know is, is Duke is going to get uh, you know, the A game of their opponent. And, uh, and K- if Kansas brings us A game, there's nobody out there Kansas can't, free, can't beat, including Duke. Awesome. Well, I, uh, I think a lot of our listeners would probably take that matchup for a title game. So, Jay, thank you very much for the time. I really appreciate the insight, man. Thank you very much. Great to be with you. All right, short and sweet today. We'll be back on Friday with a third episode this week. We'll maybe do a little bit more big picture stuff with KU, Bill Self, title implications, all the fun stuff leading into KU Villanova on Saturday. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, review. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Jay Billis. We'll see you on Friday. Hey, everyone. Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.